Last Sunday, we started standing before the cross, and hopefully uh, every uh, Sunday as the week goes by, you'll stand a little bit closer and closer uh, instead of uh, far, farther and farther away. We need to stand at the foot of the cross. We need to see Jesus on the cross. That's hard for us to see now, so far removed uh, from that event. This is another uh, image, sort of blurred out a little bit again from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, because I think uh, it portrayed the suffering of our Lord. Last Sunday, I began a series on seven cries from the cross. This is supposed to say part two. I, I did that this morning, and uh, I can't blame that on anybody but me. This is part two. The title is probably wrong, too. The scripture will be right, I can promise. And the title of the message today is The Promise of Salvation. I changed the scripture and changed the picture, but I may not have changed the title. The Promise of Salvation. Our scripture is Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 44. And so we're going to read a portion of the scripture, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to talk about the second cry of Jesus from the cross. Luke 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull. By the way, in King James, it's called, when they came to the place called Calvary. Now, you know, we sing that song, uh, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not for me he died. On Calvary, on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Uh, and on and on. I'm forgetting the rest of it, trying to quote it off the top of my head. At Calvary. You know, growing up as I sang that song, I never meant, I never knew Calvary meant skull. That's a wonderful word. And that's why it's in the song. And that's why it's in scripture. Because it reminds us of that place that we so often forget. That place that was so terrible, so awful, sanctified by our Lord himself and by his death on the cross. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. We'll stop right there. If the actions of our Lord upon his cross <clears throat> and his words from the cross teach us anything, they certainly teach us what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Our salvation is of God from start to finish. We can take no credit even for having the desire to be saved, for that itself is planted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when we come to the cross, we look to the cross uh, for our salvation and for a clear example of how to be saved. And it's our Lord's second cry from the cross 
that it, uh, it is fitting that it came after his first. His first, if you weren't here last Sunday, was, we just read it, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. In that first cry from the cross, Jesus was securing forgiveness and salvation for sin. Now, in his second cry, which we're going to look at in just a moment, he applies forgiveness before our eyes to one of the worst sinners under the worst possible circumstances at the worst of all moments. We read hanging beside him were two criminals. They're often spoken of as thieves, but uh, they were probably more than that. Uh, whatever they were, they were sinners of the worst sort. By the standards of society, they were wicked sinners, and it is important for us to know that they were equally wicked. There's no need to think that one was better than, in the, than the other because in the beginning, both Matthew and Mark tell us that both of these men, from their own crosses, took their opportunity to cast insults at Jesus as they were dying. Both of these men, not one of them, but both of them, cast insults at Jesus only hours before their death. There was nothing good about either of these men, just as there's nothing good about you or about me. These men are us on the cross. That's you and that's me. Depending on how you respond to Jesus, that's still you and me, those men on the cross. Both of these men were about to step into an eternity of torment where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Both of these men were about to suffer for their sins, not just by man's judgment of crucifixion, but also by God's judgment of hell for all eternity. That's the sentence that God has passed upon every sinner, regardless of their status in society. When a Hollywood star dies, when a rap person dies, when a musician of any sort dies, when they step into eternity, if they step into eternity without Christ, they step into the fires of hell. If they step into eternity having trusted in Christ as their Savior, they immediately go to heaven. We're going to see that here in this passage of Scripture. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true whatever your social position is, whatever your political position is, whatever your economical position is, and the wages of sin is death and separation from God for all eternity. And both of these men, both of them, both of them were about to endure that separation. And so we pick up where we left off in verse 38. Now remember Luke is telling us the story of salvation. And he doesn't tell us about the first, the, the second thief who gets forgiveness here. He doesn't tell us about his insults, but Matthew and Mark do. So we know there were insults from both thieves. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hanged there was hurling abuse at him. I want to remind you, it was not just one, it was both. One said, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. If you're really who you say you are, then save yourself and save us. And of course, had he responded to that plea, save yourself, he couldn't have saved anybody. He had to die to save anyone. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under 
the, under the same sentence of condemnation. We are indeed suffering justly. Everybody who ever steps out into eternity and is under the judgment of God will also be suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a whole different sermon for a different time. What a wonderful plea. We sing that little song, and I never thought about it, Brother Doug, until this week. Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, this is Jesus' second cry from the cross, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And so it seems that one of these thieves had a sudden change of heart. Maybe it was because he began to feel the cold shadow of death placing its icy fingers on his body and gripping his soul. Maybe it was because he began to see something in Jesus that he had not seen before when he took occasion to insult him. But suddenly, his mood changed. Something, the light clicked on. I've seen that happen before in a person. When they have been resistant to the gospel message, cold toward church, cold toward Christians, cold toward Christ, and suddenly the light turns on and they're changed people, changed men, changed women. Some of them so dark and so far away from God that you'd think no way in the world could they ever be saved. But I've seen that light come on just like it did in this man's life. Suddenly something happened. And he began to look at Jesus through different eyes. He began to listen to the chants of the mob with a different spirit. Something stirred his soul so much that he would risk further humiliation before that mob than he'd already faced. So he turned to the dying man beside him. Jesus, he turned to Jesus, who was closer to death than he was himself, because as you know, they would have to break the legs of the thieves for them to die, because crucifixion was about not only the torture, it was a long humiliating torture that might take days for someone to die. The reason they broke their legs was so they couldn't push up anymore. And, and I understand that on the cross, you could inhale, but you couldn't exhale. And so when they broke their legs, they were no longer able to have oxygen, and they would just die. And it was an agonizing death. But Jesus would die without having his legs broken. And last week we talked about why his legs were not broken. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament about the Passover lamb, not a bone of him shall be broken. And Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the thief turned to this dying man beside him, the Lord Jesus, who was closer to death than he was himself. And in that moment of desperation... He renounced the mob of which he had been a part. He even renounced his friend and companion in crime and in death who, had, who he had only recently joined in casting abuse at Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This again is our Lord's second cry from the cross. His first cry, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Secured salvation. And in his second cry, Jesus applies salvation to the heart and life of this man beside him. Was this man saved? That's a question we're going to ask and try to answer today. Uh, and so we're going to say, if he was saved, how was he saved? That's the first one. Well, he was saved by grace. He reached out to Jesus the same way that you and I reach out to Jesus, by faith. He placed, by faith, he placed his hand on Jesus as his substitute and his Savior. He could do nothing more, and he had nothing to offer. He, think about it. He had no goodness. He, had, he couldn't say, Lord, if you will save me, I promise to serve you for the rest of my life. He had no future service to offer. All that there was left to offer Jesus was the last dregs of his miserable life. He was never baptized. He never received the sacrament. He never learned how to pray a proper prayer. He never went through confirmation, but he was saved. And it happened by the miracle of God's grace and by the wonder of God's mercy and by no effort of his own. Even the desire to reach out in faith to Christ was the work of God in his heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works of any kind, lest any man should boast. He was saved by grace. Second, when was the thief saved? When was he saved? Was he saved on the cross, or was he saved sometime later? He was saved at that very moment. He was saved immediately, and he was saved completely. He could rest his case. He needed pray no more in order to continue to ask forgiveness. The deed was done as certainly and completely as all the miracles that Jesus ever performed. The water became wine immediately. The blind saw immediately. The dead were raised immediately. The lepers were cleansed immediately. Demons were dispelled immediately. And when a soul in faith today reaches out by faith to lay their hand on the Lord Jesus Christ as their substitute, they're saved immediately. Because the Bible promises in Romans 10, verse 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He called and Jesus answered. He prayed and Jesus promised. He was saved before he died. He was saved with the smell of sin still on his body, but the stains of sin were washed from his soul. His body was still nailed to that cross, but his sins were nailed to the cross of Jesus where your sins are nailed and my sins are nailed. And it happened immediately when he reached out by faith to Jesus Christ. What did Jesus promise? He promised paradise. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Where and what is paradise? I don't know what you've been taught. I can only teach you what the Bible says. And so there are some people who minimize this promise uh, that Jesus made to the thief by indicating that Jesus was telling him that they would share an abode, uh, a place of occup occupancy in the abode of the dead. 
But that's not uh, the place to which Jesus gave reference. The word paradise is found three times in the New Testament. And each time it is found, it has a reference to heaven. It's found here in this verse. It's found again in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, where Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven, which he describes as paradise. It's found the final time in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, where paradise is the location of the tree of life. Now, it's true that the word paradise means garden, and that's because it's the picture of a pleasant place, a place of a restored relationship with God, which he intended with man from the beginning when he placed him in the first garden. But Jesus promised more than paradise. Have you noticed that? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I want you to think that through with me. Because when I, within hours that man would be dead. And within an hour or two after that, the Jewish Sabbath would begin marking the beginning of another day. Remember, Jews didn't keep time the way we keep time. Today is today until, until uh, sundown. And then after sundown, it's tomorrow. We say it's tomorrow after midnight, but not for them. Tomorrow began at sundown. So Jesus is talking about today. Now mark the time frame. The crucifixion began at the third hour of the day, or about nine o'clock. It was just prior to the sixth hour that Jesus spoke to the thief. And then, the uh, three hours later, uh, that was noon, and then three hours later, Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead at three o'clock. So they broke the other legs of the two, the other two, so that they would be dead before sundown. Sundown would mark the beginning of the Sabbath, the beginning of a new day. So just prior to noon, with only six hours of day left before the next Jewish day would begin, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. In the next few hours, all of this will be over, and you'll be walking with me in the garden of God, not at the end of time somewhere, not in the future, but today, no delay. He began that day eating his last meal with his companion in crime and walking to the cross. He would end that day walking with Jesus in heaven. If he'd not turned to Christ in faith, what would have happened to him? When he died, what would have happened to him? Would he have gone to hell? Uh... Yes, when would he have gone? He would have gone that day, the same day that he died. And he would have been there to this day. And he would be there for all eternity. What changed his destiny? Grace and faith. He had nothing to add to what Christ had done. Not a baptism, not a confession of faith, not even his prayer that he prayed. All he did was reach out in faith and by faith place his hand on Jesus as his substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus died, dying for him there on the cross, who was saying, Father, forgive them. That was his prayer of intercession from the cross. Applied forgiveness to a man beside him on the cross. And he would have applied it to both of them had both of them asked for it. But only one did. What does our Lord's third cry from the cross tell us? It tells us that he who, forget, who secured forgiveness of sin 
and salvation and applied it to the worst of lives under the worst possible circumstances at the worst possible moment is still able to do that. A man can call out to him at the last moment with his last breath and if it's a cry of faith that reaches out to lay his hand on Christ as his substitute, he will be saved by the same grace as that thief. Matthew Henry cautions us, however. He says, true repentance is never too late, but it is certain that late repentance is seldom true. So be warned that you don't trifle with the grace of God or second guess the, the timing of your death or the length of your life when the Spirit of God stirs your heart to place your faith in Christ, you do it then without delay. The thief could have thought, well, maybe Jesus is going to do something and get us down off this cross. Maybe when he comes down from the cross, if he is who he says he is, I can wait and see if he comes down from the cross, then I can put my faith in him. He put his faith in him then at that moment. And a little while later, it would have been too late. Finally, is his salvation, the thief's salvation, is his salvation the exception or the rule? This is the last question. I give you the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Would not the Savior have whispered quietly to the dying man, you, you are the only one I'm going to treat this way. When I ever have to do an exceptional favor for a person, I have to say, don't, don't mention this to anybody else. Or I'll have too many people asking me to do it. If the Savior had meant this to be a solitary case, he would have said, don't let anybody know, but you will be with me today in my kingdom. Instead, he spoke openly, and those about him heard what he said. Moreover, the inspired penman has recorded it if it had been an exceptional case, it would have not been written in the Word of God. Men do not publish their actions in the newspaper if they feel they, the record might lead them, lead others to expect what they can't give. The Savior had this wonder of grace reported in the daily news of the gospel because he means to repeat the marvel every day. Anybody, anywhere, on any part of this earth who reaches out by faith in Jesus Christ as their substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, will be saved. That is the promise of God's Word. And it may be that this very day the Lord Jesus means to work that miracle in your life. You may believe yourself to be the worst sinner the worst sinner who's ever lived. I want to tell you that's the most wonderful feeling on the, on the face of the earth to have because you're that close. You're that close. If you feel I'm too sinful, I am too, I am not, I am, I just, I'm just too dirty. I've done too many things. I have too many sins. My sin list is too long. There's no way that I could ever be forgiven. Then you are you are, you are a prayers, just a prayer away from salvation. Because you've seen yourself of what the Lord wants you to see you. If you're a little 10-year-old girl, or you're a 70-year-old man, 
And you look at your life and you say, there's no way that Jesus can save me because I'm too bad of a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul said, he saved me as an example that if he saved me, he can save anybody. Because of all sinners, I am chief. I'm the worst one. When Jesus raised dead people, he raised them in all states of deadness. Even Lazarus, who was four days dead, to show that he could raise the worst case scenario of a dead person. And when Jesus chose to save somebody, here on the cross at the last minute, under the worst possible circumstances, he saved this thief on the cross who saw Jesus for who he was and what he could do. And with his last breaths, his last words, maybe the last words the thief ever uttered, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't able to catch his breath anymore just like the rest of them, just hanging there in agony. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you say that today, you may not even know all the details and all the theology behind it. You don't have to. That's the wonderful thing about salvation. You look at the cross and you realize that Jesus died for you there. And you can say if it's the only prayer you can ever pray, you can pray it. Remember me, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Whatever it is you need. Jesus can do it because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No matter how deep and dark the sin may be, no matter how long the stain has been there, no matter how long your sin list is, Jesus can save you. Let's pray.